All right, good to see you. If you would, open to Acts chapter 5. It'll be in Acts chapter 5. Good news is I drank coffee between the services. No sloppy seconds for you guys, right? Got my energy back. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And I love this passage. Um, I tell people, I don't know if some people think I'm bipolar or whatnot, but sometimes it goes from crazy intense to doesn't make any sense. So um, this is going to be the intense part. Uh, I love this passage. Um, it's, I hope that it impacts you as much as it has impacted uh, me. And uh, I love preparing for sermons. I love studying because it is such a wonderful time of worship for me. And, uh, and so in Acts chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 21. And kind of the latter part we're going to pick up. And uh, a little bit where uh, we left off last time. And um, Acts is our history book. I'm sure you know that. You have been going through the book of Acts. Acts is our history book. Um, it shows us who we are. We, we learn about our heritage, our pedigree. As we read the book of Acts, we are reading about the founding of the early church. We're reading about our foundation, who we are, our spiritual ancestors, if you will. I want you to listen to this passage. Do me a favor, don't look for it. Just listen closely. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, it says this. Paul Speaking of the church at Ephesus, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God is building His church. This is the start of what God was doing in building His church. If we want to know who we are, we go back to see where we started from. Right now, absolutely world-changing events are happening. World-changing events are occurring and about to occur. Starting with Jesus Christ, the entire course of history is changing. His death and his resurrection and later his commissioning of his apostles and his church to be sent out and spread the message of the gospel. And we're a part of that. I, I said in the last service, there's a quote that actually Winston Churchill, I think, quoted somebody else when he said that those who do not know history are condemned to repeat it. In our case, it's a little different. We want to know history so that we can repeat it. We want to reproduce this. We want to see this in our day. We want to see Jesus Christ's message go forth. We want to see miraculous, world-changing events as we preach the gospel. So through all of this, we are also seeing where God is working, there is also opposition. Satan is called the great adversary for a reason. That's what Satan means. He is working against the sovereign will of God. Persecution is coming. And here we see that they are, they are being persecuted. Just as Jesus was persecuted, his apostles were also persecuted. It's interesting to see that in this first, the start of the church, later on persecution would come from the outside world as Christianity grew. But here, it's coming from the Jews. People outside looked at Christianity as if, as if it were some new sect within Judaism. They didn't look at it as a new religion. This started in Jerusalem. They were preaching in the temple. 
And so the Jews were the first ones that really began to persecute Christians. And through this persecution, the church is laboring and pushing forward or pressing towards the mark of the furtherance of the gospel. So through all of this, we, as we continue from our passage from last week, we continue to see once and again that the primary purpose of the church is the furtherance of the gospel. The primary purpose of the church is the furtherance of the gospel. That was their marching orders. Go and teach all nations. And so they're going, and that is their goal. In this passage, I want us to read it, and I want us to see, first of all, the gospel is furthered through trust. Furtherance through trust. It says in verse 21, the second half, But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Have who brought? The apostles. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, behold, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Hey, look, the men whom you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. What we see, first of all, is that these apostles trusted in God. They trusted in his revealed word. The angel comes to them in the prison and says, Hey, I'm going to let you out. You're going to go and preach. What I want us to see is that trust leads to providential provision. Trust leads to providential provision. And don't miss the irony. There's a lot of irony in this passage of what is happening here. The first word that we read in, in 21b says, but. Now this is a conjunction. For those of you who like grammar, this is a connecting word. It's translated but. It could be translated and. It could be translated now or at the same time. So we see in our earlier passage, we see that they were... Set free, 20 says, go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered in the temple early in the morning and taught. But, or at the same time, while this is happening, what's going on? At the same time that they are there preaching the message of this life, the word of this life, there is a meeting of the minds, if you will, of all those who are in authority, and they are meeting to try to decide what they should do about these rabble-rousers, what they should do about these rebels. This problem that just won't go away. Verse 17 tells us that these were mostly Sadducees. It's the sect of the Sadducees. One commenter noted uh, that the ones who most uh, fought against Jesus were Pharisees. What we see in Acts is the ones who are fighting against the church and what is happening are the Sadducees. The Pharisees did not like what Jesus was saying. They did not like that he claimed to be the Messiah. And it's not that they're passive through this book of Acts, but what's highlighted is the Sadducees. Because something else starts to happen. Luke highlights their opposition to the apostles and the growth of the church in this movement. As you'll see later in the chapter, the Sadducees were the ruling class. They were political leaders. They were less religious than the Pharisees, but they were the ones that had the influence. They had the money. They were looking for the power. Most likely the chief cause for their concern, the reason they were so upset, is because of the political stability and the relationship with Rome. 
a lot has happened in, in, the book of, uh, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and prior to the Gospels. A lot has happened with Rome. Lots of people have been killed. Lots of insurrection. The Sadducees have kind of established their place. The political party has what they need. They have their friends. They have their influence. They have their money, and they want to keep it that way. They don't want anybody messing with their plan. Sounds familiar. They see this movement as a threat to them. They also reject the supernatural. The Gospels, Jesus tells us that the Sadducees were attacking him as well. Remember when they asked, who is this person going to be married to in the, in the afterlife? Knowing that they don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in resurrection from the dead. Paul, later on, when he is uh, in trouble... And the Pharisees are there and the Sadducees are there. He pits them against each other and says, I believe in the resurrection. And they all start fighting amongst each other, right? The Sadducees don't believe in the supernatural. They're really focused on the material. So while these men are meeting, these leaders, the chief priests, the captain of the guard of the temple, uh, uh, the Sadducees, all the council, all the elders, they're meeting to say, how do we deal with this problem? These guys we have in jail are messing stuff up. What's hilarious is that while they're meeting to figure out how to deal with these guys that keep messing stuff up, they're out there standing in the temple preaching the gospel. While they're meeting to collaborate, the apostles themselves have miraculously, supernaturally escaped from prison and are preaching the gospel. They are in the temple, the very center of both the religious and political lives of the Jews. They are messing stuff up, for sure. They are standing in the temple proclaiming Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, and maybe I've just been staying up too late, maybe this isn't funny to you, but it's somewhat comical at first when you realize that what they're upset about and what they think they have control over is going on while they're meeting. If you continue to meditate on this, though, it's not as funny, but you do begin to glorify God in seeing his sovereign hand at work, providentially providing his providence in accomplishing his will. Um, I shared this earlier, and I, I like this example, so I'm going to say it again. So hopefully you like it. But whenever I played Little League, right, we had this one thing. When It's funny because we would actually practice this because, you know, imaginary Little League stuff. But used to, you could run over the catcher. When he was standing in your way and you're running towards home, you could just plow through him and run him over. I don't know if you could or not, but we did. And the one thing you would say is we would practice and run over each other and we would look down on each other while you're laying there and say, don't be on the track when the train's coming through, right? And then we looked for a way to say that in the game. That was like our, that's what we want to say. That was our manly thing to say. Let me tell you this. Any culture, any people, any group, that seeks to derail the right hand of God Almighty will find themselves on the wrong side of history. I preached this uh, uh, sometime back a few years ago here. It's one of my favorite passages of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 says this. Why do the na nations rage and people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is what is going on. These men are taking counsel together. 
It is all of history that man has sought and kings and rulers have sought to derail the plan of God. And it doesn't work. They're meeting here to take counsel against the Lord, against his anointed, against Jesus. And against his messengers, the apostle, whom he set free to go and preach in the temple. And they are taking counsel to say, how are we going to derail this thing? Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. I'm not the only one who finds it funny. I mean, it is ridiculous that while they're meeting thinking they have some control, God is working and making them look like fools. And the apostles are out preaching the gospel in the temple. These lowly, humble, nobody apostles, uneducated men, all of whom have been put into public prison with common criminals, embarrassed, suffering embarrassment, being treated as common criminals. But they have trusted in the one true God. And they are experiencing his providential provision as they preach the message of this life. If you are in line with God's will, if you are furthering the gospel, let me tell you this, God's providence is on your side. And I'm sure that we never, I've said this before, we never see providence looking forward. We see it looking in the rearview mirror. And as they are later talking and meditating over this, I'm sure they are putting the pieces together and say, what in the world? This is crazy. And as they are following Christ, they suffer embarrassment. They suffer persecution. Are you ready for that? This is what is coming down the pipeline. This is the way every nation has gone from Psalms till now. How far are you willing to go for the furtherance of the gospel? Trust in him and experience his provision and protection. This is furtherance through trust, and this trust leads to commitment. I love what verse 25 says. It says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, indeed, hey, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. While the meeting of minds is going on, these wise and powerful men, these officers who were supposed to have been bringing the apostles in, they run to interrupt and say, hey, they're not there. They told him to go get him and bring him here because we're going to have him on trial. They go to get him and they're not there. And the Sadducees who don't believe in the supernatural are forced to reconcile with how did they get out? The guards were there. The doors were locked. I have a question. I, how did they get out? <laughs> How did this happen? I don't know. The word here says they wondered. It, it doesn't just mean like, huh. It means they were dumbfounded. They were absolutely perplexed. And while they're sitting there going back and forth, what in the world? Did you let them out? I didn't let them out. How'd they get out? Even still, as they deliberate as to what could have happened, other servants come running in and tell them, hey, did you let those guys out? They're in the temple. Imagine the consternation of these men and see the commitment of the apostles. They trusted wholeheartedly in God. They didn't run for the hills. They weren't set free to go in hiding. They went and they stood in the very belly of the beast, as it were, in the temple to lift up Jesus and preach the message of this life. 
That's courage. That's boldness. They trusted in God and his word. They went to the temple surely knowing the guards are going to be there. The Levites are the ones that open and close the temple. They're there before anybody else. The guards are going to see them. They know what's going to happen and they go anyway to preach the gospel. And as they are there, the guards see them and they are perplexed as well. What? 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 I thought you were in jail. You, you, are, you, are you supposed to be doing this? So they run to tell the Sadducees. And surely when they saw them, that's the moment that they ran to tell the Sanhedrin. What do we see in these verses? We see that God is providentially providing and protecting his messengers as they trust in him. We see the apostles wholly committed to God's plan. What is God providentially providing for? Ask yourself that. What is he providentially providing for? Is he providentially providing just because he loves them and wants their safety? No. He does love them. We are his children. But what are these men committed to? God is providing so that his message can go forth. He is providing. It is a message. They're trusting God and his plan for the furtherance of this message brought God's provision and their own commitment. The purpose of the church is the furtherance of the gospel. We will further that as we trust in God and we will further that through unwavering obedience. Verse 26 says, Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. This is interesting. Talk about providence. Christians stay committed to the message because being committed to the message and not wavering, not getting wishy-washy, not backing down could be the very thing that also protects you. They had so much respect to the people, even those that maybe didn't believe that now the officers are afraid of being stoned. So they take them without violence. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them and saying, didn't we tell you, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to all those who obey him. We should note that obedience is a byproduct of faith. James 2, 14 and 17 says, What does it profit a man, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. If you trust, you will obey. Because that is what naturally happens. And this obedience, their unwavering obedience, is based in truth. You will note that they were not being persecuted for good deeds. People were being healed. They just walked through Peter's shadow and they were healed of lifelong diseases. Good things were happening. The blind were still receiving their sight, but they weren't persecuted that for that. They were persecuted for their message. Christian, you will not be persecuted for good works, but you will be persecuted for what you preach. 
And that should be a great indication that you're on the right track. Acts 5 and 15 and 16 says that they brought this sick out in the streets. They laid him on beds and couches. And at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Unclean spirits. They, they were being tormented by unclean spirits and they were healed. Verse 21 says they entered and they taught. Verse 28 says, did we not command you not to teach? Verse 28 also says you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Doctrine is the same word as teach. It's all the same word. It is this teaching. Three times in this passage, we see the evangelistic ministry of the apostles described with the verb teach. Didasco. There must have been a major emphasis on the content, on the truth of the gospel. Truth is communicated through what the Bible describes as preaching and teaching. Christian, don't you see? God was moving. God was providing so that the truth could be taught. My question to you is, how is God providing in your life now? Do you recognize his sovereign providential hand providing for you? The question is, what are you doing? We see that he providentially provides for his message to go forth. So if he is providing for you, and if you are under his divine protection, then you should be furthering that message. Is there somewhere where he is providing for you and you are not a part of this? It's not just about giving. It's not not about giving. It's about every area of our lives. Another question is, do you know the gospel? I hear people say it, and it's true. That if you can't share the gospel, just share what God did with you. And that's true. But Christian... If you've been saved for a number of time, for, for a number of years, you need to know how to share the gospel. You need to grow in the gospel. You need, you need to meditate on the gospel. You need to probe and look and study and search these things out in God's word so that you can accurately communicate the truth. What is the truth? Peter says it later. I love how he's, he's in trouble for preaching the temple and he gets brought before the council so he preaches to them. The God of the ages, he says, he has raised up Jesus. They forbid the apostle to teach in Jesus' name or in his authority. That's how we should understand that. They recognize that these men were teaching not in their own authority. They were teaching in Jesus' name. They were baptizing in Jesus' name. What does that mean? They were baptizing in his authority. They were teaching in his authority. We are his messengers. And this is who he is. And our message is authenticated by him. God raised him up. This is the truth. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this. Listen closely. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name. Some translations say a name. We know that it's probably better the name. It is better. Why? Because what is Paul referring to? He's talking about the holy name of God. He has given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those in earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peter proclaims even to these men, 
that the message of life is found in Jesus' name. Peter proclaims that the Christ who was murdered, literally murdered, when it says murdered here, it indicates it's by your hands. It's, what, it's, it's the verb literally means by your hands. They murdered him. He doesn't mince words. He calls them to be accountable before God. He says he was hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 23 in the law says that his body, the one who was killed, shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. He was despised. He was treated as a sinner. He was cursed for us. He voluntarily submitted himself into the hands of sinful men. Hypocrites. This is the gospel. Jesus of his own will, of his own volition, of the Father's will, suffered at the hands of sinful men and died on a cross. And later he rose from the dead and he has been exalted to sit at the right hand of God the Father. The apostles talk a lot about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's a part of our message. He has all authority. He has given the name above every name and you should bow before him. This is the gospel. It says he is prince and savior. The word prince here, it means a position of preeminence. It's the first. In other parts of, of scripture, it talks about Jesus having preeminence over all creation. He has preeminence over the angels. He's before them. Here, it's used in conjunction with savior. And I believe that Peter is saying he is preeminent. He is the source of salvation. He is first and savior. He is the beginning. He gives repentance and forgiveness. Verse 31 says, Him has God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior for, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance literally is a change of mind. And repentance this is, is an idea that is more about where you're turning to than what you're turning from. Yes, it's turning from sin, but it's also turning to God. Acts 20, 21 says, repentance that leads to God. All who believe the Bible will agree that the ability of repentance, the ability to repent, is initiated by Jesus in the preaching of his truth. It is not in us. It is not innate in us. We are sinful. We will continue on our path to destruction until God sends a preacher. And that preacher tells us the message of Jesus. And we are able to repent and believe and receive the forgiveness of sins. And how does he do this? Through witnesses. Peter says, We are the witnesses. We saw eyewitness testimony. And praise God, they've written it down for us. John says that we heard and we touched and we sat with him, we ate with him. We fellowshiped with him and we declare him unto you. So you must see that after believing the gospel, what happened? The spirit is given to all those who obey. Every saved person receives the spirit, the witness at the moment of salvation. And salvation is described as obedience of faith. When one hears the gospel, one believes. 
One obeys the call of the Spirit to repent and be saved. Listen to this. Romans uh, 16, 25 says this. I'm going to highlight a couple words. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Paul saying my gospel, my message, my good news that I preach to you. Which is not his. The preaching of Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. But now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures. Made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God. For obedience to the faith. What happens when somebody hears the gospel? When they hear the commandment of God to repent and fall down before Jesus and worship him and trust in him as their savior, they obey through faith and believe. This obedience is based in truth and because of truth, and it is obedience through disobedience sometimes. We don't have time to go through all of this like I would like to, but there are times when obeying God will be disobeying authorities that are over us. They accused the apostles of, one, filling Jerusalem with their teaching. And two, even more seriously, they were accused of placing the blame of the blood of Christ on these men. He said, you are filling Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. How quickly they forgot. Matthew 27, 25, in Jesus' trial and Pilate saying, his blood's not on me. And the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. And Peter says, it's on you. They said, hey, you're saying this about us. And Peter said, yep, I sure am. You. These men love darkness rather than light. They were working against God and they were working for Satan. Anybody who is not for me is against me, is what Jesus said. And the apostles led by Peter were willing to face the consequences and obey the will of God rather than the will of man because darkness will not prevail. And they also were persistent in their obedience. While these were special circumstances, these were special happenings and supernatural things were taking place, and it would happen again. Acts 12, Acts 16, they got released from prison also. But don't think that these made up the dailies in their lives, right? Daily they were obeying and daily they were sharing and daily in trust they obeyed God's word and worked towards a furtherance of the gospel. Get thrown in prison, get out of prison. God lets you out. Go start preaching again, right? Get up, repeat, wake up, repeat. This is what they did day in and day out. They were persistent in their obedience. How are we going to further the gospel? It's our purpose to further the gospel. We further the gospel through trust in Almighty God. In his providence, we further the gospel through unwavering obedience. Obedience that is based in truth. A truth that we can count on. That we know to be true. Obedience that sometimes looks like disobedience. And persistent obedience. Daily and faithfully following him. Our job is to continue to work. To build on this foundation. This history. This pedigree. It's our job to keep it going. As we trust, we must obey. The gospel will be furthered as we obey in truth and as we communicate the truth. What is the gospel? Someone here today might not believe. Maybe you have never trusted. Maybe you have never repented. We have God's word, a written witness. Peter said it's a better testimony than what they had. What? 
we have the whole testimony. Jesus was crucified for our transgressions. He died and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What must you do? Repent. Bow before Jesus and plead for mercy. Turn to God. Believe that Jesus is your only hope for eternal salvation and that he paid for your sins. And Christian, how is God providing for you? Are you using his provision as an occasion to further the gospel? Are you using opportunity? Are you committed? Are you trusting? Are you obeying? This is why we're here. Let us trust and let us obey. And let us go out and further the gospel and press towards the mark. How far are you willing to go? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives, in this church. As we are committed to furthering your gospel. There is one here who does not know you, God, that you, that you would reveal to their hearts through your word. Open their eyes so that they might see. They would see their sin and their hopelessness before you. A holy God. They would trust to Jesus. They would run to him and fall at his feet. We know that he is powerful to save. The victory already is his, that they would trust in him. And that we as believers would continue in your work. It's your name we pray. Amen.